South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, there you have it. The end of the 2019 Toronto Blue Jays season. It was all right. It was a pretty good way to cap off a season with two wins against a team that's going to the postseason. But as we sit here from afar watching our Blue Jays Fly south for the winter, I guess. This is where we're at. So welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the Stadium Scene TV network, part of the Overtime Media crew, and we are coming to you live from the Vivid Seats studios. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't, you know, the way we all anticipated the ending of the season to go, but at the same time, winning a series against the Rays at home, not a bad thing. And actually, we have a guest that was at the final game of the season, and we're just going to break down all things Toronto Blue Jays 2019. Joining me tonight to discuss all things Toronto Blue Jays is Craig Borden of Jay Bird Watching Podcast. Craig, man, how was the atmosphere yesterday at the game? Honestly, I was surprisingly uh, happy with yesterday's events and everything. It was uh, There was a little bit of optimism in the air with the fact that this team is going in the right direction, regardless of having some of the uh, worst <laughs> final season ending numbers of all time <laughs> i believe that the team batting average was second in all of team history for the oh, toronto geez. blue jays a record low of 236 <laughs> yeah. so things like that but in all reality in the ballpark yesterday there was some fun and excitement the freaking jay's shop was still loaded with blue jays fans buying biggio bichette and vladdy shirts and everything like that it was going on i had a great time drinking with fans and with my buddy brandon panikar of jaybird watching and it was a good time just on the flight deck hanging out with all the blue jays fans yesterday to put this season to rest <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like there's there's something different about how 2019 ended in terms of the season in comparison to 17 and 18, right? At least now there's some sort of linear path that we can uh, hope for and like sort of look towards. And, and it's not this sort of enigma of, oh, when are they calling Vladdy up? Oh, when's Bo going to be here? They're, they're here, right? And so we can sort of project what the team can do in order to build around them for the future and the future is a lot more it's it's clearer than it has been in comparison to 2017 and 18. Oh, other than the fact that you have a couple spots in the outfield and whatnot that we might have some tinkering around with, this team, the offense, um, I've been saying it with Brian Panikar on our show, I would be strangely okay with this offense coming into the 2020 season and hoping to get some more magic out of a few extra spots. You know, The fact that you do have the core of this lineup, it, Adam, is solidified for years to come, and that makes this infinitely fun going forward. Yeah, and you know the the sense of optimism isn't lost on me. I was watching, uh, well, I didn't watch the game live yesterday. I was able to rewatch it today. Um, I seeing the fans show up for the last game of the season isn't new for Blue Jays, but seeing the sense of optimism, seeing the the sense of support that was outpouring um, during the last game was was definitely uplifting. 
right? And it definitely brought a sense of, okay, like, this is something that we can build on. This is something that we can carry over. And I'm sure you sensed it, too, being there live. I'm sure it didn't really resonate entirely uh, through the television as I saw it. So tell me about the atmosphere there. Like, it, it were were you communicating with people that were like, hey, we're, we're just a few pieces away and maybe a little bit of time away for developmental reasons when it comes to the core of this group to really solidifying ourselves as powerhouses in the AL East? Or is it sort of like, hey, it's the last game of the season. Fuck it. Let's have some fun. Like, what, what was the, or was it both? What was the, the sort of the characteristics of yesterday in your eyes? This didn't feel like hurry out and get all the Jack Daniels out so we can just get, <laughs> get all the frustrations out of the whole season. The fact that uh, Brandon Panikar, myself, and a few of our other friends, including Brandon's uh, girlfriend, Sarah, who's awesome as well, the fact that the three of us went to the ball game like we've been over the couple last couple years and whatnot and just had a great time. We were talking about what the attendance was going to be like on Clay Buckholtz Day, basically, mm. going to the ballpark. And we were thinking ballpark, 15,000, 16,000 people. I'm reading the attendance right now. There was 25, almost 26,000 people there yesterday. Jeez. That's half the arena full, man. On a, what, Like I said, I'm, I know a lot of those were probably walk-up tickets, but fucking Clay Buckholtz was starting the start. Right? <laughs> it's not like a huge draw. It's not like you had Tread Thornton or Anthony Kay, or some of the new blood being on the rotation that day. No, you had, this was the fifth start day for Clay Wackles, and he did pretty well on all, you know, things against the lineup that wasn't really too thinned out for the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah. So, very optimistic start. And the fact that everybody was having it was like a regular everyday game. It's, I think a lot of people didn't want to see that, you know, the youngsters stopped playing at the end of the season. I'm sure everybody was expecting to see Vladdy and maybe even Bo Bichette make that last start just to put the icing on the cake to 2019. But it is what it is, and it was really fun one way or the other. And, like, other than some technical difficulties with our microphone, we were hoping to actually interview fans while we were on the flight deck yesterday, and the thing just did not want to work. <laughs> <laughs> So we got a lot of names and a lot of fan guests that we're going to do every other week now on our show, Adam. That's great. Well, if there's one thing I know about Toronto sports fans is that they come out in droves and they come out to support your, their team. So having said that, as I mentioned, we're coming to you live from the Vivid Seat Studios. If you are in Toronto or wherever and you want to support your team, I know there's an upcoming Raptor season that's full of hype. There's an upcoming Leaf season that's full of hype. And if you're perhaps maybe a Buffalo Bills fan like myself and Craig and you want to catch a Bills game, head on over to Vivid Seats. If you use the Vivid Seats app and use promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, you can get up to $100 off your first ticket purchase. This is only good for first-time customers. First-time ticket purchase up to $100. Once again, go to your app store on your favorite device, download the Vivid Seats app, type in promo code OVERTIME, and you can get up to $100 off your first ticket purchase purchase we have a full lineup for you tonight we have a full show full of everything 2019 blue jays and beyond we will be right back to talk all things blue jays stay tuned this is the overtime podcast network all right craig what i want to do is i want to break down pretty much our expectations that we had walking into the 2019 season how we thought the season was going to go what we really changed? have to go there <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I know, like, we, Especially you and with I, me, of all people, just well, hang me out there and try, guy. <laughs> well, look, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you did have him at a 500 record even. And I, I know that was, looking back in hindsight, it's pretty optimistic. It's not too far off. It's not, like, crazy. They didn't end up losing 100 games. That's always a positive. So I kind of want to get your take on this. What changed in your mind? I know there was a lot of injuries. I know there was a lot of pitching woes that we had to experience. What was the fundamental cause for the sort of the drop-off in terms of our expectations for the Blue Jays in 2019? I was shocked the fact that those the kids didn't come up sooner. I think a lot of that was due to injuries and you know what you were just alluding to. The fact that Boba Shett didn't come up until after the All-Star break where you could have injected him maybe earlier and gotten a longer extended look of how ridiculous he is on offense. Right. <laughs> you know, things like that going on. And the fact that Freddie Galvis, who was the holding shortstop for the beginning of the season, red freaking hot out of the gate. How the hell did he drop off so quickly after that little bit of injury to his legs and whatnot? And the, it's a tale of two seasons, I think, Adam. Yeah, I mean, I think that when it came to how... All right, so I think there's always going to be this sense of overwhelming optimism coming into a season because we don't really know what the, the, the ingredient list is going to be. We didn't really know what sense of time Vladimir Guerrero was going to enter the fold. We didn't know when Bo Bichette was going to enter the fold. So to think that, you know, the the success would have happened immediately was sort of short-sighted. But at the same time, I think that is fair to think that, hey, the, we were, I don't want to say we were sold a bill of goods, but we are very much hyped when it came to how this team was going to perform, especially with the youngsters coming in. I think what this season alluded to is how raw a prospect can be. Even though Bo Bichette got off to a hot start, I think there's a sense of, hey, like these things take time. Don't expect for these prospects to get hot right out the gate. Maybe that will carry over in 2020. I certainly hope not. But especially in the case of Vladimir or Jr., it definitely was sort of, I don't know, it, our expectations were up here and the results were down here. So I, I I wanted to get your take on that. Do you think that we are sort of overhyped with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. coming in and maybe we needed to pump the brakes as to what we were going to expect him to be in the big leagues? I think everybody found out he actually is human for the first time in all right. of his Blue Jays lore, right? The fact that he hits a walk-off game-winning home run in spring training in the Expos series the year before, everybody was all over the train and ready to jump on the bandwagon with uh, with Vlad Jr. And in the midst of that, I think it, you just found out that he is a raw, young prospect. He's 20 years old. The fact that we were able to actually see what we did see out of him was still incredible and still super fun to watch. And just how big of a piece is this for him to build on? And now having Biggio and uh, Bichette with him, the three of them together, man, there is something just iconic level to, with the three of them in that tandem together. And when they're all together, that is a very special thing. It's been that way throughout the minor league system. So now that they're all together, they feed off of each other, my friend. So that is going to be one of those things that I think it's going to be just this is the step. We got to see what the worst of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is and the fact that he is still a way above replacement level player at his quote unquote not his best mm. is insane. He had a 2.1 war for the season and was one of our best players. <laughs> so don't right. please, please don't uh, you know take that the wrong way. But the fact that everybody was expecting him just to be a perennial 300 home or uh, 300 batting average player right out of the gate and hit 30 home runs, he can't be Mike Trout to start. <laughs> it's just how it is. But I really think he's going to get there. 
I mean, Mike Trout was a Mike Trout when he started, right? And these 100%. things, yeah, these things certainly take time. And, you know, I don't know if that's a result of the poor seasons that we've been experiencing these past two years, and now we're counting this one three in terms of a win-loss record. I don't know if that's because we're grasping at things, and this arrival of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was so highly anticipated and sort of needed to to boost uh, the the uh, an injection of life into this fan base. And I don't know. For me, it's just like it, there's an elephant in the room when it comes to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on this team. I don't know how much of this has to do with the pressure of him playing third base, uh, especially at his size. I know that's an issue uh, amongst the talking heads in the Toronto media. I'm not sure that's so much of an issue with him in the ball club. These things seem to be amplified and a little bit overblown, so I'm not sure how much validity there is to that. But when you think of this this mixture of things, like how poorly Rowdy Tellez has been at the plate, um, how Justin Smoke may be on his way out, the opportunity for first base is sort of there for the taking, and it seems like the stars are aligning for him to go there. And I, if I'm a guessing man, I think that the front office is aware of this and aware of the fact that, hey, maybe his defensive woes and his body type is causing issues that are bleeding over to the offensive end, and that's why we're not seeing the full potential in the ceiling of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So maybe it's not only in the team's best interest to have him at first, but for him as an individual to, you know, exploit and sort of highlight his attributes to have him be the player we know he can be. Maybe that's the recipe. So I kind of want to get your take on that. Do you think he is, have you seen enough of him at third base throughout his tenure this year as a Blue Jay to think, okay, no, he just needs to work out these kinks. He's a perennial third baseman. Or do you think, no, he's better suited at first base, not just for him, but for the team? Honestly, the thing that kills me about moving him over to first base is the fact that you are completely losing the wonderful attribute that you do have with Vlad Jr. And that his arm is ridiculous at yes, third it is. base. Yeah. It's insane. It's amazing how much his ridiculous arm actually makes up for some of those other flaws. It's almost like how when Jose Bautista was originally moved over into right field after being at third base for so long, that arm was carrying very well in right field where it was a little bit cumbersome watching him play third base. I don't think Vladdy's going to be the best outfielder in the planet. I do think he's got some room to improve on his certain other attributes that we were going to hear him finally lift quote unquote weights, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I, I, right now I'm in that point where it, unless you have somebody really good to bring in a short or a third base, that's going to steal that job defensively and keep up with the bat at that position. I don't see why you play with it. Let him let him try and stick there. And I think he's shown me enough this year, Adam, that I can let him run out there next year and not even really think too much about it. Where if there's something that comes up that clearly benefits this team as a third base option over Vlad Jr., completely open for it. And I think he has to be in that situation too because I think he knows eventually, regardless of how much he works on it, that he's destined to be like Miguel Cabrera mm. and move over to the first base side. Do you consider 2020 to be sort of a prove-it year defensively for Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? I think so. Because at that point, after next year, you got to think that the Josh Gro Jordan Groshans and everybody else are going to start nipping at the heels for a possible third base bid. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't know that he fits the prototypical body type of a third baseman. Right. And I, I, the closest comp in terms of composition of, of the, 
the architect of the body is Miguel Cabrera, right? And I know when he was with Florida, he was sort of this kind of a rail, but as he grew, you know, into what he is right now, he kind of got a little pudgier. And that is sort of where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is right now. Again, I'm not saying that he is right today of the talent of Miguel Cabrera at his high. He's not. He's not there yet. But if Cabrera could have done it for as long as he did at third, there's reason for optimism to think that maybe Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can do it as well. I do think it's inevitable that he will shift over to first space but i'm not sure how quickly yeah i don't i don't know how quickly you want to fuck with that right i don't know that you want to kill this kid's confidence because like this is the position that he wanted to play i remember when he was being scouted by anthopolis and co they were like what position do you want to play and he said third base right and he's been groomed to be this third baseman of the future ever since he started with the blue jays organization all throughout the minors and to come into the big leagues and say hey kid you don't have what it takes to go in that hot corner we're going to stick you over to first might be a little bit of a buzzkill and you definitely don't want to kill the confidence of the you know the cornerstone of your entire organization right off the bat you kind of want to give it some time to see all right we'll give it a shot but if it doesn't work you'll know this and we'll know it as well so it'll sort of be like a mutual thing rather than just sticking them there and giving them no choice just to throw it out there wade boggs made a great third or a shitty third baseman help through three quarters of his career yeah <laughs> so there's been plenty of good hitting third basemen that have been mediocre on the defensive side of the ball that eventually turned into something special. Wade Boggs actually eventually learned how to play third base very, very well after putting the hard work in on it. I think Vladdy's already gotten up on him with, or somebody like him anyways, with how good his arm is. And the fact that he has been just ready to go after the ball in any fashion that he possibly can. There's been some really nice plays that he made this year and uh, at third base. I was very impressed with that. Made me think that he can hold that, for the extended future. But like you said, it's I unfortunately do think it's something inevitable, but it's going to be one of those things I think he has to get forced out of that position by somebody else that damn good. Otherwise, why mess with it? Do you think the weight, to put a bow on this Vlad talk, do you think the weight is a legitimate issue, or do you think, like a lot of things in Toronto media, this thing is a little overblown and we're making something out of nothing just for talking points because the season didn't go as well as it should have? Do, what do you think? Do you think this is going to be an issue moving forward? I don't think so. And I'm going to put this note out there. How, how many players miss as long during spring training that he did and still have a contributing year like he did? Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he was hurt for that long with an oblique thing, it's not like he was sitting there running on the treadmill, man. You couldn't do anything. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so that's a lot of time of just sitting on the sidelines hoping to get better. And I think that was actually what stunted his, you know, quote unquote health, if you want to get dig into it this season. But I don't see anything issue here. I think he's going to come in knowing that he's got work to do this off season. And he doesn't have to worry about making the team. He can just do his thing and get into a really good groove this uh off season and the fact that he had a above 900 feeling percentage regardless i think he did a great job at third base this season all right let's transition into uh, another player that certainly uh was the talk of the town once he arrived let's talk about bo Bichette. and this isn't the first time we've talked about him obviously this isn't the first time we've mentioned the fact that he sort of stole the hype away from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He was always perceived to be this 1B in the prospect pool to Vladimir Guerrero being the 1A. Um, but 
Bobachet took off like like a streak of hot fire coming in, and he proved that he belongs up here. And he even was vocal about it before he was called up. And mm-hmm. you know, in July when he made his debut, it was like holy shit! Like this is what we have in our future. This is incredible because, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, it's always very important to have a solid shortstop, both defensively and offensively, and to find that is a pure gift like it's really really it's like a unicorn it's hard to find ones that are consistently good and Bobachet seems to be that guy now I know the sample size is quite small it's only like quote-unquote a half a season but still you got to be encouraged by what you see and I know you mentioned like the winning attitude coming in throughout the entire minor league system that he's been he's been on winning clubs over and over again that sort of bleeds into what it's like to be in the MLB and to prove that you belong into this league and prove that you are a championship kind of caliber player. So what do you think? Do you think that this sort of hot streak will carry over? Do you th- Have you seen enough from Bo Bichette to think, okay, he definitely belongs in the big league. He is a major league player. Or do you think, hold on, small sample size, let's pump the brakes and see what we get out of him throughout a full season? Oh, I'm so excited to see what Bo Bichette can do for a whole season. Like you, I've watched him throughout the whole minor league system. And the fact that he has done nothing but torch pitching in general throughout every level, this leads me to believe that he's going to do this exact same thing that he just did in this 20, well, 46 games for the Toronto Blue Jays this year. He bats 311. I think that's a little high. I really think he is a 300 level player, period. Mm-hmm. But the thing that shocked me was in that sample size, he had 11 home runs. I knew he was going to hit home runs, but I was always pegging him as one of those guys that he's going to hit a lot of hard, just obscenely no high exit velocity freaking hits. Period. Right. That those doubles are going to in the you know small American League ballparks are going to be home runs, and the fact that he was getting under them and just watching him hit these like Jose Bautista like freaking monster huge bombs in the Rogers Center just has me even more intrigued on what he can do. And the fact that he brings every piece to the table, man. I know we didn't get to see a lot of his speed at the major league level, but he stole 16 bases for the Buffalo Bisons this year. We only got to see him try eight times. He was 50-50. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I know that that's a part of his game that we haven't seen, but this whole thing, having somebody like him at the top of a lineup, oh my God, going through from him to Biggio and the Vladdy in the three spot, that's a fearsome combination right at the beginning of a lineup. And it's going to frustrate many major league pitchers in that for years to come, man. Yeah, and it's not just what you see on the field that impresses me about him. It's his professionalism and his attitude. And I know that might be something that's sort of hereditary, you know, having seen his father be in this atmosphere and, you know, how to carry yourself as a major league player. That's huge. And there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. And he walks that line perfectly. Like, he's almost very Josh Donaldson about it, right? Whereas, like, I'm sure opponents, they don't like to see the swagger. But when you look at him in a Blue Jays jersey, you're like, I'm proud of that guy being on my team. I love it. I love that type of that confidence that he just bleeds out. And it doesn't, this is kind of the first time that you see a season. And I can, I know he didn't play the final stretch of games, but you see a season in which didn't really go the way you wanted it to. But at the same time, you're thinking, look, like they're not tired of playing. They're not cutting it short. They're not saying, hey, I, I don't want to be here. They don't have that attitude. And I think that really stop, starts at the top with leadership. And I think Bo Bichette has an opportunity to be that clubhouse leader so long as there are no other veterans coming in, especially on the diamond. So I, I wanted to get your take on that. What do you think of his like the intangibles that he has shown? Do you think that he is a future leader of this ball club? 
I think there are honestly three different leaders already on this team, and we've been hitting that nail with both Bichette, Biggio, and Vlad pretty damn hard already for this yeah. whole episode. So just remember when we were good recently, 2015, 2016, what changed from 2014? They dumped Lind and all the other guys that were quote-unquote the not good, not as good leadership or not the leadership quantity quality that they wanted. Right. So they ship those guys out and they bring in Russell Martin, they bring in Donaldson, and the whole dynamic of the team changes. Right now they have the dot the Donaldson, Batista, and Edwin Encarnacion dynamic all over again. Biggio being kind of like your science work ethic type, very much in the uh, Edwin Encarnacion mold, right? Right. Then you have Vladdy that is full on Jose Bautista, in my opinion, because it's going to get to the point where he is that freaking ridiculous and he's just going to frustrate the living shit out of everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell yeah. And Donaldson, like you said, 100% the swagger, but 100% that damn good at the same time. There is nothing that is going to shock me if Bobochet runs off in the next few years with an MVP just because he has that ability to just go on obscene tears. And we saw it when he came into the major leagues. He was what? Um, on base for his first 20 games? Yeah. Then he had a 15-game hitting streak to start it off, something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but just insane that somebody that young is this talented. And the fact that we have three guys – in the middle of this lineup, and that's before you get into Gurriel and Grichik and company. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be a fearsome offense. A, a Toronto Murs row, a second Whamco coming kind of deal Ooh. for the Toronto Blue Jays. I love it. Um, you know, we touched on Biggio. We could sort of shift into him a little bit. Um, I love what I see at the plate when it comes to Biggio. I think personally, like, this is just my take. This isn't, you know, anything, you know, analytic here, but. The way his approach at the plate, I've said this before, is perhaps the most sound approach I have seen in a long time. His swing is just gorgeous. He's always constantly swinging with two hands, and that's something, I don't know, it's just I love seeing just personally because maybe that's because it's always been drilled into me, always swing with two hands. His just swing is gorgeous. It's almost, almost Griffey like, almost not nearly as perfect, but it's just. He doesn't have the finish. To yeah, the Griffey, but it's that same motion high going through. Yes, that nice uplift to it. My only worry about that whole thing is the fact that that uplift, the way his swing is tailored, is that going to be something pitchers eventually exploit? Yeah. They have not been able to up until this point, and he's only gotten better. I think as this whole you know hundred games for him have really evolved. And the fact that, like you said, the, the plate presence is there. He knows what he's looking for. And I love how he got a little bit more aggressive near the end of the season. I, I would have never in a million years thought he had 123 strikeouts, like it says here in front of me. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. the fact that I think a lot of that was early shifted when he was clearly trying to do something and push his weight around at the plate. But Kevin Biggio has done the same thing for me this year as he continues to do every year. I have this canned image of what I think Kevin Biggio is going to be, and then he completely just shreds it up and throws it into the freaking meat grinder and (laughs) is a completely different player than I imagined. And the fact that he continues to evolve his game, between the minor leagues and whatnot this year, he had 24 home runs. (laughs) And the ones he hit were not off of slouches. Yes, just like all the Blue Jays, they completely decimated the Baltimore Orioles, but who didn't? <laughs> <laughs> so, but the fact that Kevin Biggio was having good games on top of that, and he's the only guy to have a cycle 
yeah. since Jeff frickin' Fry and Kelly Gruber in Blue Jays history. That's intriguing, man. I don't care what the hell you say. But like I said, he's found a new way to elevate his game every year. And I think he's going to be in that same talk as Biggio, or Biggio, Bichette, and Vlad, period, for years to come. And the fact that those teams that we were mentioning a minute ago, what they all had in common every year that we were really good. We had a solid up the middle. Right. We find a good center fielder, man. We already had the catching dynamic now as a battle. Shortstop and second are anchored already. Find have those other two s- pieces. Have you seen enough from Cavan defensively to make you confident in those abilities? Because I do agree with you. I do think the up-the-middle defensive uh, presence is important, especially if you want to make a postseason run and contend. But for me, I just haven't seen quite enough there like his lateral needs some work his side to side it's just not it's not as quick as I would like it to be so I kind of want to get your take do you think he is like no doubt about it the second baseman of the future or do you think like it could be up for grabs but right now that he's the best we got obviously and like there are improvements that need to be made when he does get to the ball though he's very sure-handed so whether the regardless of what the ranging issues are, I think that the management is going to put him in a good position to succeed and line him up properly, and we don't have as big of a problem. Plus, you got the little bit of plus on the other side with Bichette having some extended range, right? With the extra arm and everything like that. I just don't. I'm not ready to put Kevin Biggio in the outfield, it, it, even though he actually looked really, really good for the Blue Jays in the outfield this year. I just don't want to do it mm-hmm. it's one of those things i just think he's looked really good at second base regardless of some minor things but i think those are things that would come as he continues to you know become an everyday player i don't at this point after what i've seen i just don't want to see him turn into a super utility guy hmm. i want him to get his play at bats let him not worry about anything especially this coming season when there's not really anybody kicking in the door to take that second base job with him Loris Gurriel Jr. was his competition coming in this year for second base, and he is now a left fielder. So (laughs) let him completely anchor in at second base, see what he can do with a whole season. He only had four errors this whole season at second base. And the fact that he was able to form a very nice double play dynamic with Freddie Galvis for a while, then Bobachek came in, and he's looked very good in that double play combination. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously... All players need to improve in some way. We talked about it. Like, maybe save for Bobochet, who has been, like, outstanding. But, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has to make some improvements, whether it be physical or, like, his his mechanics at third base. Kevin Vigio has a little bit of improvements to be made at second. But these aren't, you know, obstacles that they can't overcome. These aren't things... Tweaks. Yeah, that's it. It's just like minor. It's definitely something that you expect in terms of a growing pain aspect for young players. And I'm willing to be forgiving in their, you know, in the expectations as to how I expect them to be in 2020. I don't expect major leaps. I don't. I expect these incremental leaps that will, you know, constantly improve over time. And we don't know. Like, remember when Edward Encarnacion was on this team um, when we acquired him, I think from the he Reds. The worst third baseman on the planet. <laughs> ever, right? And no one wanted anything to do with him. So much so, I think we designated him for assignment or traded him to athletic to the athletics. And then we got him back and everyone was like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do with him? And he became like some of the mo- one of the most important pieces to this postseason run that we've ever seen. You just don't know. Like, we don't know if this is where he's going to be cemented for the future we don't know and it, it, for all we know like Lourdes 
a change could be made with Kevin. It could benefit the team exponentially. We don't know. But I do think that there's enough there right now to give him the reins at second base at least for the entire 2020 season, like Vlad at third, to see what we got. Like, we need an extended look as to what we have in these players to make sure that they are part of the future. And I think there's this giant assumption, and I get the assumption that these players are, you know, cornerstones. I get it, and I do agree with you there. I think they are. But to see where they fit is sort of TBD. Right, We need to know right. for sure where they are in order to move forward to make those other corresponding moves to really make this team a contender. Yeah, and it's those fill-in pieces that are going to be the key going on. And when you do have – and you have, if they have an opportunity to get right now one of the best third basemen in baseball, I'm not going to throw a name out there or anything, but if you had an opportunity to do that and you're looking here and seeing you, I could have this or I could have Vlad – you got to have that conversation, yes. right? It's a, it's an opportunity to improve the team. I don't think it's going to happen at all like that. I really think if anybody's going to be moving anybody around, it's going to be something homegrown that's going to be moving these guys around. I think if they're going to dump money in somewhere, man, they got to be looking in the outfield right now, right? Mm. Yeah, that and the pitching staff. They have to do oh, something about the pitching yeah, staff. That's, yeah. a, not, that's not even no question. Must. <laughs> yes. Well, let's go into that there. Like, Who would have thought that Trent Thornton was going to be your best pitcher of the 2019 season. Who would have thought that Waggis Pack would have been one of the most reliable starters for this team? Like, it, it's sort of puzzling to know that, like, I know injuries happen with Barucki and Shoemaker, that, you know, that these things aren't, you know, maybe with Barucki they were coming from a mile away, but at least with Shoemaker, it was kind of a freak accident. Where do you want this team to go in terms of the pitching? Because for me... I love what we have. I, I really like TJ Zoic. I'm not sure that he's ready. Pearson is definitely the diamond right now that we're holding on to, like Gollum's ring. Like we we can't <laughs> wait for him to come. But I need uh, we need reinforcements. Like this is the one department that I really hope the front office is willing to open up the purse strings and say, okay, we need to buy some starters. Where do you stand on this? I'm just gonna throw this out here for to blow your mind. Okay. Uh, the Blue Jays' top 12 guys in WAR, Matt Shoemaker is number 11. There is not <laughs> another pitcher on there other than Marcus Stroman. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I take that back. Trent Thornton was blending in. He yeah. is on that list too. One at number eight. But the fact that you were still able to get something like that out of Trent Thornton is very intriguing, and I really do think he can take that next step. I just hope in his mentorship with Clay Buckholtz that he's not stealing from recent Clay Buckholtz. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, they got to pour some money into it. Worst case scenario, you're shifting something off to where you can maybe trade one of these guys or whatever it might be. But you do have that, like you said, the shiny ring in Nate Pearson. And he is coming probably sooner rather than later if he continues to pitch like he did it this season, just mowing through minor league hitters it's it's insane how good he did but in the midst of that you're going to get matt shoemaker back like you said i think you are going to run matt shoemaker out there and let him do everything he can and that's the best thing about his injury if you had to look for a bright side out of it it was not his arm right he Lower was half. on fire mm -hmm. to start last season and looked like Looks like he was going to take us to the freaking promised land there for yeah. a little bit. April was Blue good Jays to had us. had one of the best freaking pitching staffs to start off the season. And then yeah. got, you know, hamster fell off the wheel and was left for dead. <laughs> but yeah. it's, I just, they need to find somebody. Like, kind of almost like what the Braves did with Dallas Keuchel this year. Really had something to gather around. I Keuchel hasn't been Dallas Keuchel of old. But the fact that he was somebody veteran presence for those young guys to feed off of, 
if Lewinsky and everybody have really come along since that whole point. And I, they need to find somebody. And maybe for all I know, it is Dallas Keuchel. But <laughs> it, just find somebody like that for them to gather around. And I, I honestly, one of the guys I would like to see them go after is Zach Wheeler if the Mets do let him go. Yeah, I think that's somebody in that ballpark. That he's like in the time frame that we want to be good at. And he's still going to be good kind of thing. But he's got also been in the majors for a few years. Let's put a pin on that real quick. Uh, I want to get to what we think that the Blue Jays front office will do for in this coming offseason for the 2020 season. Hang tight. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, so you alluded to it, and even, in fact, a couple shows ago when you were on, you talked about maybe Garrett Cole being a, a target, and I know, like, you know, maybe, but I'm like... Please, for the love of God. Yeah, you know, Wheeler, to me, is the most interesting because it wouldn't surprise me if the Jays made an offer. The thing is, though, is that this may be his last mega contract, and I say mega in quotations because it's not like the mega contracts of old. I'm thinking maybe a three or maybe four deal. Maybe. Um, if I'm Wheeler, I'm thinking, I don't know that I want to pitch for a team that's not pushing its chips in year one. Like, what is the timeline of this team? What is the timeline of you considering to contend? And more importantly, I think this was brought up, and I think it's an outstanding point. This front office is still on shaky ground. They have one year left. One, we don't know what's going to happen in 2021. We don't know who's going to be in charge of this ball club in 2021. What if things change? What if a, a new president of operations and or GM comes in and say, okay, time to purge the whole thing so I can put my fingerprints all over this? We don't know. This is why I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for the, for the Blue Jays to sign any free agent, whether it be pitching or fielding. It's going to be incredibly difficult. So what do you think? Do you, do you have optimism in terms of their aspirations to acquire these assets in order to have a, an adequate, complete ball club for 2020? Or do you think like these issues that I'm raising are sort of non-issues and we'll worry about it when it happens? I think you raise an interesting point about the because of the managements when they're when they have to, you know, more or less put up or shut up at this point. Right. They've been saying for how long that we're going to build this team internally. And then when we think we're ready, we're going to push our chips into the table. Right. Right now, you can make the argument that that's that time, regardless of what our record shows this year. This offense has got legs that we can start running with. Right. And if you can figure out enough in the pitching side, our bullpen was actually pretty strong this year, regardless of how many people were in and out of it all year. But that starting rotation was just ugh, what the hell happened, you know, kind of more thing all season. But they have to figure out something to do with that. And I thought this was even the crazier thing when the kids did come up, they were, sh I'm looking at the runs scored versus the runs allowed. It was the worst in May when we had all of the, you know, everybody's hurt. The kids hadn't come yet. May and June were abysmal. We had 160 runs allowed and we're only scoring 130 each month. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, August, September, things calmed down. We had 127 and 141 in September, and the offense stayed about the same. From Ju July, August, and September, the Blue Jays were almost a 500 team, if you were looking at just those three months. Mm. May and June buried this team. Yeah. To the point we only won seven freaking games in May. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know. I knew it was bad, man. I didn't know it was that bad. Jeez. So all the other months, we were around 500, and including, you know, 
12 and 13 April where it looked like something might actually be in the tank. So if I'm looking at that, I'm throwing May, you know, May and June out the damn window in that yeah. stat. And I'm looking at all those other big sample sizes and what was going right in that time. The offense was doing enough, not as much in the first half of the season, but the fact that they turned it on at the end, well, I would expect that would continue to trend upward because you're hoping that you can fill in that outfield spot, that extra one, and get a whole year out of Loris Gurriel Jr. in left field. Hope he turns into something like he was in the middle of the season here. And then you throw some pitching on top of that. That doesn't sound like you're far off from a 500 team right there. Man, I, maybe I'm out of my mind, Adam. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I don't think you're out of your mind. It's just whether or not you have faith that the front office is going to do anything for the 2020 season. Because for me, listening to interviews, listening to, the, to, to how they evaluated 2019, I'm not optimistic that they're willing to, quote-unquote, go, go all in. And I don't mean all in as in like the Alex Anthopoulos all in that we we're familiar with in 2015. I mean, I mean like sort of be a little bit more aggressive. I feel like that is necessary now. I feel like that, and for lack of a better way to put it, the pussyfooting of how you're going to sort of just like scrape for the, the leftovers is sort of over. Like it, the, the opportunity is sort of ripe right now because I know the Rays are kind of on fire in a sense. I know the Yankees are the mega monsters in the East, but Boston right now is on shaky ground, right? And when it comes to that front office, what they're doing with the new president of operation, whoever it may be, I know they're rumoring Theo Epstein. And if that's the case, then he's definitely going to want his fingerprints all over this again. He's going to blow it up. I guarantee it. So the, the window is sort of opening right now. And if you can just sort of like push in, and just open it up for a wild card berth. You gotta take advantage of those opportunities. You have to. And another year like this, and just waiting for a developmental period, I think that's a disservice. I think you have too much talent on this team, and you're you risk sort of ingraining a losing culture for these for these kids that have been so used to winning and so used to success. You want that to carry over. You want that to maintain. So I'm I'm just weary as to whether or not this front office will be aggressive because quite frankly we have yet to see it well that and they need to be i another year of doing this same thing like this is going to be atrocious for them they will be all fired yes. <laughs> they will never get jobs in baseball again after fucking up a you know 2017 team that really could have had no problem getting back to the playoffs if they played some chips pushed some money into it mm-hmm. That's <laughs> all really would have taken. Yes, I know we were one of the, best, the highest paid teams in the baseball at that point, but the window could have been extended one more year. And obviously some other things did play into that with Donaldson and everybody getting hurt a little bit. But you're at this point right now where you know this team, the offense is only going to get better. You got to go out and buy somebody. I really think if they don't buy somebody, that they're really st- just screwing this whole thing up. And the best way to do it and addressing the Biggest weakness on this whole team, like we were just discussing, is the rotation. Just freaking buy Garrett Cole and stop <laughs> fucking around. <laughs> you have to. But and and I just don't I don't see any excuses why you don't make a big play for somebody like that right now. This isn't where it's gonna be the JP Riccardi thing where I'm telling you to go out and buy AJ Burnett, Miguel Bautista, freaking BJ Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Everybody all at yeah. once. And no offense, that was horrible. (laughs) So pick one guy that you know can really fit into this team and make it happen. You throw enough money at it, it'll happen. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just the pitching. And I do think that, you know, I think the pitching aspect, especially the starting pitching, is the most important. Like when it comes to bullpen and relief, you could, like, as you said, it wasn't bad at all this year. And you can get a lot of surprises out of bullpen and relief pitchers. Like a lot of them are sort of hit or miss, and you can buy them a dime a dozen. You can find good, solid relief players. But when it comes to the starting rotation, that is mega important. And you need at least one reliable starter. I am not confident with Matt Shoemaker being the opening day starter. In fact, I am not confident with anybody on this current roster heading into the 2020 season that we know of right now being the opening day starter. So they need to improve on that. And another thing, they need another bat. Like they need someone behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the fourth spot that will be just as intimidating and and to sort of support him in the three hole. They need it. And I mentioned this on the previous episode. I'm going to say it right now. Don't buy a Reese McGuire jersey just yet. Because the rumors are is that they're looking to get Edwin back on this team, and it would not surprise me if they do. And if they do, Reese McGuire is going to need a new number. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel about yeah. it. <laughs> but hey, looking at the free agent crop, though, I, you're not going to get Josh Donaldson to come back after the no. bullshit that they did. So, no. And not to mention, I think he's way too damn happy in Atlanta right now, and he's going to be there, I think, for the rest of his career. But you're not going to see somebody like now, I don't see Nelson Cruz coming here. I don't see J.D. Martinez wanting to come here, regardless no. of the fact that he would fit in really nice when we don't really have a DH and could play some outfield. Mm. But the guy that would really fit if you wanted to find a bat that was a good outfielder at the same time, it's a, we're probably getting Marcelo Zuna going to hit the free agent market. Mm. See somebody that's possibly dancing in the line? Had a hell of a year with the Cardinals this season. So... But that's shifting the outfield around a lot yeah. in Marcelo Zunin because <laughs> he's not going to play the center fielder for you anymore. So that's putting Gritchick back in center. And I don't know how much I like that. I like him a lot as a right fielder. Yeah. And I don't want to see him being moved around. So, But there's not a really – there's not a lot of ton good bats on this freaking, <laughs> you know um, – free agent market. That's why I say Edwin. Edwin. Edwin would be one of the better ones. Yeah. Yeah, and like I, I don't know that the the relationship with him in the front office or whatever is really that sour. I really don't. I think time heals all wounds, and I think there's a difference between how the Blue Jays handle the Josh Donaldson situation and how they handle the Edwin Encarnacion situation. Because remember, they did offer him a contract, a quite lucrative one, that was and surpassed. And if I recall, bigger than the one he ended up finally signing. Exactly, exactly. Bigger than the one Cleveland ended up giving him, but he just waited it out too long. So I don't know right. that there's bad blood there. I don't know that there's a storm that he would be like, hell no, I'm not going back to Toronto. He wanted to be here. He wanted to play for the team again, and then you know, he still has a good at-bat. He's been playing pretty well this season. So if they, they need a power at-bat, and that sort of solves the first base issues. It, they, it really does if he's going to play there. And if not, it sort of solves the, the DH issues, and you have to have Rowdy Tellez prove it at first. This sort of plugs in a lot of holes that you don't have to worry about. It wouldn't surprise me if they went after him. It really wouldn't. Plus the veteran presence that we want back. Yes. In not to mention one that's used to the city already. That's way too damn easy. Exactly. I do think not that you know, his batting average did drop off this year. But remember, he freaking broke his, his wrist. Yes. <laughs> and he's still playing really well. So 
And the fact that he was in a team with the Seattle Mariners that could not bat anybody around him, uh, the fact that his power numbers at 34 home runs and was pushing 80 over 80 RBIs again, I'm I would be a million times overwhelmedly happy with getting number 10 back in Toronto. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to cost that much. I honestly don't. You're not looking at a situation where it's going to cost you, you know, an abundance of money over two, three years. I wouldn't be surprised if he took a one-year deal on like a $10 million deal. I really wouldn't be surprised. And I think the front office would be willing to pay that because it's in that, that little comfort zone that they are in terms of their spending habits that, you know, it's sort of a win-win. He comes back. He probably would end his career here, I would think, if it's a one-year deal. And he gets to go out, unless he has still something left in the tank heading into 2021, maybe you can flirt with an option year. But I do think that solves a lot of issues, both intangibly and tangibly, in terms of the veteran presence and the need for a mega at-bat in the lineup. I just think we need to get, like you said, that veteran presence back in the lineup. And somebody like Edwin Encarnacion fits it in like 10 billion ways over. Yes, he's 37, but God, that guy can still mash. Yeah. <laughs> It's too easy, and it 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 hits too many check boxes perfectly. And the fact that he probably is in that like ten million for a year maybe ballpark now instead of you know the twenty that he's making right now, I think he can make it happen. And it feels a lot. Yeah, I think he'd be welcome back, especially with the fan base. I think this fan base sort of misses that feeling of 2015 and 16 and having that energy in the lineup again. A familiar face would do wonders for this team. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do moving forward. But having said that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we can't end the show without some sort of prediction. So we're going to have some way too early predictions for 2020. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Hang tight. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Craig, as mentioned, we usually wrap up the show giving predictions for a series, but there is no series. We're out of games. So having said that, 2020, we sort of know a baseline for this roster as we've been talking about. Let's just put it all on the table. Way too early predictions. Where do you see this ball club going in 2020? Uh, If they're not a 500 uh, team next year, Adam, I'm literally going to eat the brand new hat I just got. (laughs) (laughs) So I went all white panel. I got it. There you go. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, I'm buying that. Nice. So the fact that they have to do something here to make this team, if they stream this fan base along for another year of this garbage, it's going to make everybody disgruntled, especially when the fact that the Raptors are doing well, mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs are doing well. Do you really want to fuck the market up on sports during the whole summer? You can't. You can't. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah. They have to do something. I'm going to say 500. I'm going to stick with you there. I think that with a full year of Vlad, a full year of Cavan and Bo, if they make solid additions to the pitching staff, which I they have to, they have to do it. They can't shell out the same squad. I think you're looking at a 500 team. As I mentioned, the cracks in Boston are starting to show. Tampa Bay could be a hit or miss team. That's your biggest obstacle to get into a wild card situation. Baltimore's not as a non-factor. I'm not even paying attention. Um What's going on? Yeah, nothing. The Ravens, I guess. I don't know. But like when it comes to you know the Yankees, you're not going to compete with that. You're just not. You're not going to be able to overtake them. And that shouldn't be the goal. The goal is to try to make it into a postseason berth to see what you have in this team at a rudimentary level. So I do think that a 500 record and maybe even more. I think a baseline 500 is safe. I think that's the on the low end. Um, but if I if they finish with a 500 record, I'm happy. And that's you know. We'll we'll take it from there, but you got to make improvements to the squad and the front office, as we've mentioned, has to be aggressive in order for that to happen. Yeah, 
Is there somebody that you have your eye on that you're hoping that they make a big play on in the offseason? I was considering Wheeler, and the reason why I brought up Edwin is because I think it's just too perfect. I, I really would like to see that, and I think that he, like as we've talked on, I think it would be a mutually beneficial move, a great way to close out his career, and I think that's what they need. I, I know pitching is the priority, as I mentioned, so Wheeler would make a lot of sense. I just don't know that he's going to want to come here. So other than that, like it's it's sort of going to be maybe a trade market kind of thing that they're going to flirt with. But in terms of what they can afford and what is feasible, I think Edwin makes the most sense. Yeah. Just say Andrew Hutchinson's still a free agent. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah. Are you going gonna, gonna to go full Mad Bomb? Yeah, why Maybe not? get on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make the prediction that the Blue Jays are actually going to be a player on Nick Castellanos. Okay. I think right. he fits some of the uh, parts that you were talking about there, and he's a little bit further on the timeline, and he's had a playoff run under his belt now with the Cubs. Yes, the Cubs came up short, but he sure as shit wasn't part of that equation. <laughs> Do you think he's too expensive, though? I wonder if it's because of that same thing we were just talking about, that he's the right price for the right guy. At least yeah. he's on the younger side of 30, where all the other guys we were talking about are on the wrong side of 30, outside right. of Garrett Cole. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean garrett cole would be great but i mean if they're going to be aggressive that would be a move that i would be satisfied with and it would sort of surprise me at the same time so 100%. yeah i I'm, I'm for it look if they make any of these moves i think it improves the ball club regardless right you can't the bottom line is as much as we're talking about how great these you know prospects have been for this team and how excited we are to see them in a full season run knock on desk no injuries i kind of i probably just fucked that up right there but what did you do yeah i mean it's still 2019 right that that mojo doesn't happen until 2020 you know so the curse doesn't happen until then but you know like if if they acquire these players i think it would benefit the team and that's all that matters you need to improve your team that is the front office's job right now they have to make these improvements and if they don't they're done they're out of town 2021 is going to be just as much of a question mark as 2020 is if not more and i'd be the anxiety is just going to shoot through the roof with this fan base if nothing is done so it's going to be interesting i'm keeping my optimism cautious that's i'm hoping for the best right now because that's all you can do there's no use being doom and gloom there's no use being all sky is falling about this Hope that your ball club improves because what else can you do? The the money is there. The holes are there to be filled. They just have to get it done. Insert here. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Craig. Well, I'll let you go. I know, you know, the season has been full of ups and downs. I know it probably didn't go the way we wanted it to, but it's still been exciting nonetheless. We have a whole offseason to look forward to. I'm sure Jay Birdwatching is going to have a lot of content moving forward into the offseason, as you guys always do. Having said that, the floor is yours. This is your time to shine. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter, your podcast, everything, all the above. Go for it, my man. All right, Adam. Well, here we go. Uh, first, I'm going to say thanks to the Toronto fans for welcoming in so to many drinking games on the flight deck and all the good fun <laughs> shenanigans that we had around town this, you know, for a whole Sunday. I should have been watching my Bills suck, but I'm kind of okay. I'm glad that you all pulled me out of the misery that was the Patriots-Bills game on Sunday. Uh, make sure you <sighs> listen to Brendan Panikar and myself on Jaybird Watching. You can find it anywhere you can think of as far as podcasting pleasures go. At Birdwatching GC is the Twitter handle, Facebook handle, 
Instagram handle, whatever. <laughs> I've made sure I just gotten that one booked up everywhere. And as far as our off season plan, Mr. Corsair, we're going to have some fan shows every other week. We're going to be doing after the regular baseball season and the playoffs are over here. Uh, we're going to be doing actually MLB content in general until the World Series is over, along with some of these fan peppered in shows, along with minor league reviews. We're going to have actual, you know, affiliates of some sort with each team. We know nice. we can get the minor league announcers pretty easily, along with we have a lot of people that are just good followers of certain teams at certain levels. So we're going to make sure we get them involved, have a good conversation, and make sure we just have as much fun in our barroom chat that we tend to have on Jaybird watching. Well, all the links to the shows, the Twitters, all the social medias will be in the description of this show. You can find it just by tapping the artwork. While you're there, leave a review for the show on iTunes or what they call it, Apple Podcasts now, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all the above. Do the same for Jay Bird watching. Give both shows five stars. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate the downloads. We appreciate the support all throughout the season. I know it's been rough. I know it's been a little underwhelming, but you guys have stuck with us, and we appreciate it. Craig, you as well. You've been there. You have covered this team like no other. I applaud you and Brendan's work. You guys have been consistent. You guys have been solid. Anybody that's a Blue Jays fan listening to this, and of course you are, why else would you be listening? And you're not subscribed to Jaybird watching. You're doing yourself a huge disservice. I can't recommend them enough. So, Craig, with that, I can't think of a better way to close out the season than a conversation with you, my man. I'm glad you were able to head up to Toronto this past weekend and watch them play the final game of the season. I'm glad you were able to interact with fans. I, for one, uh, love that aspect of this, and I'm sure you do too. So with that, man, go Blue Jays. 2020 is going to be one of those seasons that hopefully knock on desk will be great. I appreciate your time, man. Thank you very much. No worries. Otherwise, at least it's rest in peace for 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I can't top that. That's how we're going to And... <laughs> for listening to the south of the six podcast don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at south of the six and subscribe to our show we're on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher spotify yeah we're everywhere while you're at it if you liked what you heard do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review we appreciate it thanks again go jays and raptors